The Veterans Affairs Department is no longer on track to meet its goal of resolving all legacy appeals. By the end of 2022, you guessed it, the pandemic has pushed those timelines back. Attorneys at the Board of Veterans Appeals have been teleworking and holding some hearings virtually. But delays for records and exams are slowing down progress. Now Congress wants to know what the board will do about the appeals backlog. We get the latest from Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco. There's no doubt VA has made progress in recent years. The department cut the legacy backlog from a high of 472,000 appeals in 2017 to fewer than 135,000 today. But VA promised Congress it would resolve all legacy cases by 2022. That goal is impossible anymore. That's because the pandemic slowed portions of the disability claims process and made it much more difficult for the Veterans Benefits Administration and the Board of Veterans Appeals to collect data and evidence needed to review those cases. Cheryl Mason is the chairman of the Board of Veterans Appeals. We don't have the timeline yet. We're working to set that. The delay in exams and records is impacting the VA's ability to complete those legacy remands and return those to the board. Currently, the board has approximately 102,000 legacy appeals that we are working through very quickly with our, with our strong staff, and we are hiring more staff, as I noted. Additional judges are joining us, along with other staff. So right now what we are doing is we're assessing with budget and our current staffing, and that 22 budget that we asked for plays a huge role in this piece. And it will will enable us to meet and set a new timeline, probably sometime in 2023, to work down those legacy appeals. VA's previous appeals process was confusing, complicated, and time-consuming for veterans. They used to wait five years or longer for a decision on their appeals. The board infamously spent at least 25 years and 27 different times adjudicating one appeal. Today, veterans have three options for pursuing an appeal. They can submit to an experienced adjudicator who will take a fresh look at their case, or they can file with the VA regional office, which will review and assist with developing new evidence to support the claim. The third option is appealing directly to the Board of Veterans' Appeals. The board takes less than two years to issue a decision today. These appeals changes are two years old now, and VA is learning more about what veterans prefer. Nearly two-thirds of veterans are choosing to go to the board now. That's more than VA originally thought. Here's Mason. So the first thing we did was we started talking to our VSO partners and our representatives to find out why people were requesting hearings, what was going on there. They just really felt that they wanted to be heard by the board. They, they felt that it was their only chance to be heard in the VA process. And we completely understand that. I've been a judge for a long time, so I understand that. Still, that's creating pressure on the board. It's trying to meet the demand for hearings and juggle both the legacy appeals and new claims. The board schedules about a 1,000 hearings a week. Most are virtual these days. But just 60% of veterans actually show up for those hearings. And that's another challenge. Here's Mason. And so we are working with our VSO and private representative partners to address that issue. And in fact, one of the things I've been asking for since 2019 that I'm going to implement this year is a hearing summit, much like what we did with an appeals summit in 2016 to discuss this issue, because it is a rising number. We have reduced legacy appeals to about 40,000 hearings, but AMA appeals are growing. I have about 25 judges per day scheduled for hearings, but I don't have a show rate that's high enough. And so we need to figure that out. The board hopes it can bring on more judges and support staff over the next year. 
That's if Congress approves additional resources. The White House recently authorized 20 new judges for the board, and Mason says that should alleviate some of the workload pressures. Still, lawmakers, auditors, and veteran service organizations are worried VA will sacrifice speed for quality as it tries to work down the backlogs. It's already seeing more veterans remand new appeals back to the board because of mistakes or other problems. The new appeals process was supposed to prevent some of that. Shane Learman is the Deputy National Legislative Director for Disabled American Veterans. He says poor training is to blame for some of those mistakes. I think VBA trains their employees to their training manual, not to the statutory requirements or to the law. So a lot of times when they're making decisions, it's based on their training manual, which many times is in conflict with actually what the law requires them to do. So they're not fulfilling everything the law requires. Thus, the board, the VLJ, has no choice but to send that back to be corrected. I think if they increase the training specific to statutes and laws and not their own manuals, VBA would increase their efficiency and we would see the number of AMA appeals drastically drop. The American Federation of Government Employees represents attorneys and other VA staff at the board. It also believes VA needs to improve training and perhaps allow employees to specialize in certain kinds of appeals and cases. The board lost 148 attorneys over the last two years, either because they resigned or got fired over performance issues. Jillian Slobik is a vice president for an AFGE local representing board attorneys. There are many different ways that AMA claims reach the board. This is a slight, I don't want to say more complicated. This is a different procedural process than attorneys have been working on for years and years and years. Attorneys have been working on the legacy program and are very accustomed to that system. This way, we believe that instead of going backwards and forwards with the cases that we have, uh, with, that attorneys have, they would be able to just know what they're working with without having to go through the training and look again and again about the processes involved in the AMA. Some people could specialize in one and some people could specialize in the other. Slovak says allowing attorneys to specialize might improve outcomes for the board, too. Some attorneys are struggling to meet performance quotas today. She says two to three attorneys are on performance improvement plans at any one time. Congress and the VSOs are also concerned the department doesn't have a definitive plan just yet for tackling the legacy appeals backlog. The board today has a backlog of 91,000 pending hearings. VA recently announced plans to automatically review claims from veterans who had previously filed and were denied benefits for one of three presumptive conditions associated with Agent Orange. And those claims will generate new appeals and more work for VBA and the board. Congress and VSOs are worried VA isn't prepared to handle sudden shockwaves to the system. Here's Learman again. But to your point about the backlog, there were 76,000 in 2020 we're at 91,000. If the VA, the board and VBA doesn't have a plan put in place to address the issue now, we're going to see a backlog that'll continue to grow over time. And three years from now, we may be looking at 150,000 hearings backlog. Nicola Grisco, Federal News Network. Check out Nicole's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including commander, 
Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from sea to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Um, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean 
And you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance in some cases and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and um, his his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters uh, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, And I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And and, uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. 
Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.